friends and fam. Thank you guys so much for watching Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Hey, guys, another great day, another great interview. I'm excited to uh, introduce this guy. He's doing great things out there for the veteran community, and he served our country proud. My next guest retired from the Army after serving 24 years of honorable service. He was a crane operator and military police during his time. Once he retired, he wanted to be involved and do more for the veteran community, so he started a nonprofit and is now the founder, CEO of Ruck It Up for Warriors. Let's meet Scott Fredenberg. Hey, what's everybody. going on, what's, brother? Hey, what's going on, Brian? Hey, man, I'm Zach. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, you're doing some really good things out there. Why don't you go ahead and in, introduce yourself to all of us and uh, let us know who Scott is, why you chose the Army, a little bit about the Army, and you know what you're doing now. Okay, uh, so here's Scott Fredenberg. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, out here in the middle of nowhere. You know, where it gets really cold in the winter, really hot in the summer and humid. So, uh, okay, graduated high school in 1990. Prior to me graduating high school, um, my father was a Marine Corps veteran in Vietnam, served a couple tours over there. Uh, my older brother graduated in 1988. He decided he was going into the Army, went into the 82nd Airborne, and he ended up eventually retiring a full career on active duty. Um, and I wanted to follow the footsteps of, you know, my father, honestly, to tell you the truth, when I was like a freshman, sophomore in high school, I was thinking about joining the military. Um, I wanted to go into the Marine Corps, but my, you know, he passed away when he was 61. He had heart disease. Um, but my mom told me that one of the main reasons he tried to lead me to join the army instead because of some of the stuff that he had seen and personally witnessed and went through when he was uh off to his vietnam deployments and stuff like that so i never knew that however i was still um really excited to be able to join the army and do the jobs that i did during my time in. so so that basically led up to it then my younger brother he was also an army military police he he served five years as well so. wow man you got a family of heroes Sheesh. thank you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like uh and then you know you know where where do you end up joining and you know what job did you end up going into and you know kind of lead us down your your uh army career Okay, so I started, I joined as a delayed injury program, so I think, I believe I signed up uh, when I was 17, junior year of high school, um, signed up to be a crane operator, went through my initial training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, um, did my basic MIAIT there, um, and then my first duty station was Camp Humphreys over in Korea, um, and that was... December of 1990 through December of 91. And then after that, actually over there, I was a tool room. Even though I was a crane operator, I was in charge of working in the tool room because our cranes were deadlined. Then after that year, I was stationed at uh, Fort Knox in Kentucky. Um, once again, cranes were deadlined. 
we did a lot of motorcycle work and stuff like that. And, you know, so there I was, you know, three years active duty down, you know, not really down the drain, but, you know, doing a job where our cranes were deadlined and stuff like that. So my initial enlistment was a, was supposed to be, was it two years active and four years reserves for my six years i ended up extending one year on active duty you know so i did three and then i did three years in the reserves so my three years in the reserves i got assigned to a quartermaster unit and once again our cranes were deadlined so i was like enough of this so i uh started looking at different job specialties um found the military police corps um so i went to mp school on the reserve side in 1996 and spent my time as a military police from 96 through 2014. so during that time um geez let me see 2000 in 2000 i was first deployed to uh, kosovo we ran a detention facility there, uh, Camp Bonstil. Um, so former Serbians and uh, Albanians there, they're at war with each other in the former Yugoslavia area. So we, you know, basically did shift work there, covered the, you know, keeping them separate, you know, had a bunch of guys and gals there that were there on war crimes from both their countries. Um, in 2003, 2004, after 9-11, after the ground war started, went to, uh, got called up to go to Camp Buka, Iraq. Um, that's southern part of Iraq, If for people who are unfamiliar where that's at, in the Umm Qasar area there. Um, not, it's probably about a half hour away from Basra airfield. Um, so we did basically force protection, um, military police patrols, stuff like that inside, outside the wire, you know, we did a few escorts, MP, like MP escorts, you know, for convoys and whatnot. So that was that deployment, 2007, 2008, it would have been 2007 when I, when we started our actual pre-training mobilization. My wife and I got married in 2007 in December, and in 2008, we actually deployed to go back to Camp Buka, Iraq again. So we were married about a month and took off as far as I went. So, okay, so she's in the army as well, isn't she? No, she wasn't. She was oh, she was not. She's, oh, yeah, okay. So we, she, she just I, was I, able to go with you, huh? No, I wish. <laughs> oh, I was like, dang, I was like, no, 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 so no, we, we got married. Yeah. Okay. So all I, right, got, then I you, deployed a month later. Then, okay. 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 Gotcha. Correct. So, so anyway, so January 2008 is when we actually left country, uh, actually went down to Fort Bliss to do our training and took off and went, went back down to Camp Buka, Iraq again. And from there we did a couple different missions that were pretty, pretty fun. Um, first one was, uh, multinational forces review committee there's like when uh when the troops when the coalition forces would capture the the prisoners before they bring them to 
when they bring him to Kambuka, they do their they do whatever time they're set to do, and then they'd have to go up in front of a review committee from the sectors they were captured in, you know. So they would have their little courts court system, if you want to call it. So we would be the on-site security of the courtrooms and stuff like that, and making sure they didn't get out of hand and stuff like that, and making sure we we're escorting them back and forth safely to and from there. Review. You ever have any? Like you ever have any crazy thing happen during all of that? Uh, not really during that. Um, yeah. Just you know, a couple of them were mad because the review committee would, you know, wasn't going to be releasing <laughs> them that day or something like that. And right. Yeah. We'd have to. You, you'd have to use tasers and stuff like that, or you know, use a force technique to be able to get them back to their compound and stuff like that. You know. So. Uh-huh. Um, so then the second half of our tour, we did what was called the detainee or transport mission. So basically what that was, you know, say, so it was like post, post mesh multinational review, review committee time. So what would happen is they would say, okay, these guys are all going back to their place where they're captured because we're going to release them. We can't get any more intel out of them and whatnot. And so what we would do is we'd load them up on, we'd put them in hand restraints, blindfold them, throw them up on a bus and transport, transport them to Bosra Airfield, load them up on an aircraft, and we'd uh, fly with them to Baghdad, drop them off, and pick up freshly captured individuals, bring them back and bring them back to the detention f- facility. That was a kind of a super fun mission as far as that went. Up an aircraft. And it does. It, I mean, yeah. honestly, that that intrigues me. You know, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff does intrigue me. And you have any good stories from that one? Doing all that <laughs> stuff. <or what? laughs> so there's a there's one where we had actually two little stories from there. Once where it was really super weird. I, um, so you think us as an empty unit, we'd actually be security for our own convoys, but we actually. We were actually the security detail as far as watching the detainees. So we had Air Force security police, you know, security forces. They were our, they were our armed escort. And during one of those missions, one of the Humvees engines must have overheated and it caught on fire mid convoy. So we had to stop and hold our convoy back. And they all got out and pulled all their, you know, all their sensitive items out, their blue force tracker out. And we just sat there for like about an hour and a half as we watched this entire home V just go up and smoke and melted. burn down, melted yeah, everything, melted everything outside the frame itself. And it was just like, you're just wow. like, what is going on here? You know? So of course we couldn't leave until they, you know, made sure they came in at the end and made sure the, fires out made sure all sensitive items and stuff like that was out of the that thing must have had an oil leak or something and just yeah. overheated man yeah i don't really know what actually caused them what know. time of the year was this because it gets hot as shit. It hot. this was i'm sure it was midsummer because it was yeah 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 dead ass hot <laughs> yeah so but then so then a few missions later we uh Normally flew into Baghdad International Air, Airfield when we flew from Basra to there. And there was one mission they told us we were going to land on 
Taji airstrip and Taji airstrip was only a few hundred yards long. Um, so they told us prior, like when we did our pre-planning for the mission that when we landed, be prepared, we were going to have a, uh, very abrupt and quick stop on the runway. So, <laughs> um, so we, you know, we flew on, I think, I don't I think it was uh, C-17s we flew on. Um, but anyways, the back end of those, if you've been on one of those back end time comes up about, I don't know, that much of an angle or whatever. So all the side seats were taken as far as by people on the mission, some of the, some of the detainees or whatnot. And there was a group of us. I like to sit personally in the back of the back of the ramp itself and they just throw an air force strap over our laps as far as that went so myself and a couple of my other battle buddies they were up there and we had a bunch of extra restraints on hand that were kind of just laying beside you know just because we had more detainees that we were picking up than where we were supposed to be dropping off and so when the um when we actually landed on the Taji airstrip, that thing come came to such an abrupt stop. You know, me myself, I like, I knew it was coming. I prepped for it, and I, you know, held on, gripped onto the Air Force strap. It was like basically right over my waist, and I actually managed to slide kind of underneath the Air Force strap, and I was starting to head down the ramp, and I actually had to grab on with one arm onto the Air Force strap and held myself in. And a couple of my battle buddies were like, you look like Sylvester Stallone and Cliffhanger there, you know, <laughs> hanging on. <laughs> so, so that's what I felt like. But at the same time, I see out of the corner of my eye, two of my battle buddies, Chad Weebers and Jesse Cunningham, if they watch this, they'll know exactly what happened on this one. But uh, so they noticed that there was a couple of those like sets of empty restraints that started sliding towards some of the detainees that were sitting in the middle of like the aircraft, they were Air Force strapped down, they were blindfolded, and they were actually thought they were gonna be superheroes and you know, kind of save the restraints from taking someone out pretty seriously and injure them. And they, you know, they went sliding down the ramp and crashed and they crashed and rolled over the tops of these detainees who were blindfolded, you know, and it was so yeah oh man that would have yeah i'm glad i'm glad i actually decided to do the cliffhanger part of it and hold on to the strap Dude. were they, were they some, anybody get hurt from that um you know just a minor there was only like one or two detainees that got Did, you know they're like what the hell was that shit man well well you know okay so these guys already don't like to fly anyway because they've never been on aircraft yeah. And they're blindfolded also at the same oh, time. Yeah. So when these things take off and, they, and then when they're landing, all you can hear them saying is mumbling in their native tongue about, you know, praise Allah, Allah be with us and all that, you know. They're yeah. saying all these prayers. and I'm trying not to laugh my ass off, but oh my <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Yeah, Because uh, so. I was deployed over in... Uh, the middle east as well as in kuwait and we were we had a supply chain uh into iraq babylon so 
I was at Camp Commando in Kuwait, and then we had, but we had a lot of uh, TCNs, third country nationalists that would come work with us. Mm-hmm. And dude, once we started getting bombed on and stuff, like them, we all had gas masks and stuff. None of them had gas mm-hmm. masks or nothing. So here we are, like screaming gas and stuff, putting gas on, and you know they're all just we're kind of like looking at them like as like parrots, you know, like <laughs> you know, and and they're just you know. It's it's kind of a sad situation for him, but uh, at the same sense, we're all sitting there almost like laughing too because it's like we don't. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a bad situation. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm right, talking about, right? I know what you mean. <laughs> so, okay, so that basically concluded our, my second Iraq tour, which was my third deployment overall. And then, 2011, it would have been. We uh, got called up to go to Bagram, Afghanistan Air Base. Um, and we did a U.S. Customs mission there. We were right across. Have you ever been to Bagram, the Customs House at the time? I'm not sure where it was at the end. But when we were there, it was right across from the Pat Tillman USO, right? When you enter the airstrip for anyone who's watching that may have been there. So we did. Uh, uh, you're, you're talking about a lot of major areas. I mean, that you definitely were heard in the mm-hmm. news and uh, yeah. talked about very uh, a lot so mm-hmm. so Bogram Air Base yeah we did uh, like I say U.S. Customs so we did a couple different parts to that we did like uh, we sent teams out to different places on Bogram or sent them out to different fobs you know outside of Bogram and they did U.S. Customs missions to where they would uh check unit inventory before they sealed up conics and stuff like that to make sure that people weren't trying to take stupid crap back to the u.s it's not allowed um we also like so that was we found some people trying to bring you know like mortar shells and you know different unauthorized articles unauthorized like uh rifles and stuff like that that were not customs cleared so Outside of having those teams, we also pre-screened and searched everybody prior to getting on their aircraft, prior to leaving country, going on leave, or ending their time on their uh, time time on ground. So we did. I definitely know you. You found some stuff. You guys yeah, we to, did. The, yeah. What was the What was the craziest thing you think you confiscated? Because <laughs> I mean, I know that you know people were trying to bring back a lot of stuff because you know, those big 20 foot containers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, I was in supply. They had to come through and inspect every single bag that we loaded up. And then they would have to come in and put a, like a lock on it that was ser- serialized. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you yep, couldn't yep. tamper with it no more. But uh, yep. so not really a lot of crazy stuff outside your typical, like you had some people trying to bring back some EOD. You know, (laughs) it's like, really, first of all, why would you touch something that was unexploded or something like that? You know, leave that shit there because, you know. Yeah, for the people that don't know what EOD (laughs) is, kind of explain what an EOD is because there's a lot of people to watch that probably don't know what EOD. Yeah, basically, it's going to be what they're trying to bring back is unexploded ordnance that they find when they're out doing (laughs) missions and stuff like that. First of all, that's their... First of all, you don't know if it's you don't know if it's set up to an IED. You know, it could be 
something to uh, catch a, you know, like a not so smart U.S. soldier's uh, attention, you know, and they're hey, I'm going to take this home or whatever, you know. <laughs> right. But, you know, so, or it could be exploded ordnance, and they could just be bringing back uh, casings and stuff like that. Yeah, from, remnants. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they, you know, try to bring those back as war trophies and stuff like that. Or like, I don't know, we have people bring back like helmets and stuff from, you know, enemy person, you know, from dead Iraqis or something that they found, you know, resistant forces or whatever, you know, exactly. Stuff like that. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then, yeah, just stuff like that. You had, uh, did see a lot of, uh, you did see a lot of sex toys and you saw a lot of like uh hodgy porn videos and stuff like that and you know that people you can't bring that stuff back to the states so we had a full contraband room where we had in the customs house to where you just shook your head at some of that stuff and you're like oh man so that was it was days. it pretty full in that thing i mean it was, it, I mean, it was it, full it was full <laughs> i tell you that because we uh we were processing probably uh, on average probably about four flights per day wow. in and out of country, you know, yeah, so you're constantly finding stuff. So we had seven days to where my uh, NCO that I had under, I was a, I was a shift NCO IC and I had my, had a staff sergeant who ran the, the room there for me for all the contraband that was found. And, you know, he'd have set days each week to where he'd have to go with like two or three other people and they'd have to destroy all that on record, you know, throw it in a burn pit or whatever and get rid of all that stuff. So, but yeah. That's crazy. That sounds pretty interesting though. I mean, that would be kind of a, a decent uh, duty to have. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was, it was an interesting mission. I'll tell you that. But, so then to end off my career, I get back and I, uh, Retired in May of 2014, so I just passed my, uh, I just passed my date of nine years being out of service. Man, crazy. Time goes by so fast. So, you know, that's, you know, uh, that's great, man. You had one hell of a career. But uh, so after you got out, what uh, did you start doing with yourself and uh, you know, did you suffer from PTSD and, and things of that nature? And like, you know, kind of how have you uh, cope getting out? Because I know sometimes getting out, man, there's a you get that lost feeling or, you know, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of things going on. OK, so, you know, here's the hardest part of getting out. I don't think personally that I had PTSD or anything like that. I'm not I'm not service connected for it or anything. But, you know, like you mentioned you know just being away from service you know 2014 and during that time period from now until you know everyone is out of afghanistan and out of iraq and all that all the u.s forces are gone from there for i there's multiple occasions to where my battle buddies kept getting called up for more deployments and there i am sitting at home watching them get called up you know you know, kind of just watching to see if their family members are posting that they're doing okay, you know, and that that wears on you as a, you know, someone who was their battle buddy for all these years, you know, so 
depression does set in. I can tell you that for sure. You know, you get, you want to be there with them. You want to have their backs. That's what you did. That's, you know, you basically did everything together for a year at a time, you know, boots on ground, you know, so you miss that. You learn to miss that. And, you know, so what do you do? You know, you can't, you don't go back in. Um, I got out for a reason because my wife was like, you know, we have a couple kids. You've been deployed multiple times and it's time for you to get out. It's time for you to, you know. Yeah, what rank were you when you got out? E7 Sergeant First Class. So. Okay. Yep. Nice. So, did. Um, so, you know, so what do you do? How do you, how do you give back to, you know, you know, I start, so I started basically, you know, on Facebook, I started like joining all these different veteran groups you'd find on there, you know, just to, you know, talk to veterans and stuff like that, you know, and talk, you know, just to try to be more active in a veteran community after your separation from service and all that, you know, so, so that kind of led to where I am and how I started my organization I'm doing now. So in March of last year, 2022, I was on one of the pages. I don't know if it was veterans for veterans, Facebook page or uh, Sean Lowry's group might be, I don't know, but I, but anyways, as I was on there one day, I was just scrolling posts and I seen, uh, advertisement for a mission 22 48 mile ruck march challenge during the month of march and the whole idea of this is to basically do it a fundraiser on facebook and do an independent challenge so during the month you do as many miles as you know try to get that 48 miles and then try to get people to donate to the cause as far as that went. So I personally set a goal of $500 on there. Um, but I ended up surpassing that and raising $578 and I did 51 miles. And I actually did that with, uh, at least 22 pounds on, I, I wear a weighted vest as opposed to the rucksack. Cause I don't, you know, I'm, haven't found a good rucksack that I like. And I feel personally like the weighted vest is more proportionally weighted to where you're not going to have as many, you know, over your center of gravity. Okay. So I spent what led me to that process is I actually was a certified strength and conditioning, personal training and all that at points throughout my military career, always a reservist. And, you know, and so I just studied, like health and fitness and all that. And, you know, just for, I decided that was more of a route to go as opposed to actual rucksack on the back to where it leans all your way back. Regardless, I had 30 pounds, I think of weight is what I had for that entire 51 miles I completed. So, so there I am, I finished that. And each and every mile while I'm doing this March, I'm starting to think to myself, Okay, if I'm reaching towards my goal I had 
for donations, you know, how much, how much money does it cost to send a veteran through counseling for PTSD? Um, for meeting my goal of $500 or more, how many, how many veterans' lives am I going to save, you know, by doing this type of work, you know? Um, and the big question from there, you know, so yeah, those two smaller questions. Now, my big question is, if I can do, if I can raise 500 plus during me just doing this on a monthly thing by myself for one month, what could I do if I started something, started something bigger, you know, if I started a uh, nonprofit organization or anything like that. So I started putting some thought to it. A good buddy of mine who I referenced earlier, Jesse Cunningham, he is, uh, he is a vice president of a nonprofit called Wheels for Warriors USA. I'm not, I don't know if you've ever had them on or heard of them. No, so I definitely okay. will uh, look into them for sure. Okay, so I'll give you more information on him after the yes, show. Ask me. Yep. And uh, so Jesse Cunningham, he has been doing nonprofit stuff for probably about six or seven years for this organization. So I reached out to him and I was like, "Hey, hey, bro, what? He's one of my battle buddies from Iraq." my second Iraq tour. That's where I met him. And I was like, I was like, what is it that you have done that has made you successful in your nonprofit? So he gave me all these tips. He kind of set me up with like, uh, there's this group on Facebook. We have a private group called Nebraska war council. It is like, basically it's in messenger. It's not an actual Facebook page to where we are actually the people who are, presidents and founders and the people who are leading all these different Nebraska organizations, veteran related. So sorry to interrupt, but you know, Nebraska is, is a place man for veterans, man. I, I keep hearing great things coming out of there. I mean, there's hero stock there. I mean, there's just a, you guys, there's just a whole bunch of other organizations too. So Nebraska is, is uh, kind of leading the way and, and uh, people need to start looking and seeing how they're doing things. Mm-hmm. So, so if you haven't heard of Hero Stock, I'm sure you have, Brian. Oh, that's yeah. uh, uh I'm, so, I'm going. I'm going. It, that's From an California event where to Nebraska. I'm going. It, that's an event we're actually doing an event for. You know, yeah, we're that's gonna be tight. The, we're gonna be tied into that event. So Jason told me all about it. He uh, let me know you guys are rucking it in. Yep. So, so right. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so I uh, started thinking of all what I could do. I leaned on Jesse for his expertise as far as all that went and then um filed my paperwork in beginning of june last year and by middle of july i'm not sure the exact date 2022 we officially got our 501c3 non nonprofit status so we so since our beginning of our time we have done probably about four different events right now. Let me count real quick. We had uh, first thing we did was a kickoff event last year, Frontier Harley Dance in Lincoln, Nebraska, just just to basically introduce, introduce ourselves to the community and people who follow, you know, that ended up following us on Facebook. Um, that was pretty successful. Then our second event was 
thought of um i just thought of this in just a very very short period of time like our event and our kickoff event was september 24th and so i was like you know i started thinking about to the back to the mission 22 48 mile ruck march challenge so i decided i was going to do a event called the rucktoberfest so rucktoberfest is our version of what they do and it is a 50 mile independent challenge and what i did there is i am having people do mileage i tell the people who want to independently join this challenge to try to get donations at one dollar per mile and i don't ask them to ask for anything over one dollar per mile up to however many miles they complete and then at the end of the month turn that money over to us in a donation and we put it towards the organizations we donate so i ended up having uh, myself my mother who didn't actually ruck but she walked 75 years old and she walked 70 miles during the month you know and i had now two other people who are who participated and we had people that actually were donating three to four dollars per mile that people completed even if it was over the 50 miles i had one one of my guys who completed 75 miles and he uh he just had one guy alone just say hey i'm 250 bucks for you to complete whatever you can during the month or whatnot you know so that was super successful so i'm you know my my intentions are to do that event every single year you know um so there's that there's that we also then our third one we did was actually on february 25th it was 100 percent not related to ruck marching or anything being outside we had a uh, comedy show we put on and at a local bar here in town um it was i called it that's rucking funny so i kind of do all my own oh yeah naming things as far as that goes yeah so what what i did on this event was we i have a buddy who's a usmc vet he's uh he's he's a stand-up comic and he's been in the been in it for like two to three years now um his name is billy two guns deekman is his stage name as far as that goes um check him out yeah i'll give you the information on him um i was like hey you you interested in doing because he was doing some other comedy stand-up comic shows with a couple other guys and another guy who was promoting and they had a little fallout so i was like hey are you interested in doing a show you know for a veteran nonprofit organization he kind of followed me and he was like he's like yeah i think i'd do so so i think i'd like to do that so i was like okay cool so another one of the guys i deployed with afghanistan he also does stand-up stand-up comedy um his name is james Lindsay, and his he uh he has this little thing he's called has called getting busy with james Lindsay, you know and <laughs> so then i found another military veteran through one of my co-workers former co-workers one of his buddies who works it off at air force base with him so it ended up being that three of 
our four comics in our set were veterans. So I was like, that's awesome. So, so we ended up selling out a, uh, 145 seat capacity, uh, bar and raised some pretty good money that night. Wow. That's and then great. up and then we, so that was February 25th. And then we had March 18th. I did our first ever, uh, one of my, one of my battle buddies from my first Iraq, you know, for my second director or what about his name's Kevin payday. Jurassic his, his nickname is payday. Cause he worked in finance and, Every time before, when we were up at like payday in the military, when we were deployed, our first sergeant made him get up in front of the formation and sing the finance song. So we <laughs> called him payday, you know. So, well, Kevin ended up uh, committing suicide in uh-huh. March of 2020. Um, so we did a, I'm, we started a memorial ruck march in his name. So we did one on March 18th of uh, this year. And my intentions are to improve that March every single year and get it bigger and better. And, you know, I want to be able to get people there from every state. If any of these, if any of your listeners know anybody who, you know, has committed suicide veterans or family members or just battle buddies, come on down and show support and bring signs and participate in our March. I want to, I want to grow this thing pretty, pretty massively large as far as that goes. So, Heck yeah. and then what else? Yesterday we had a day here in Lincoln, Nebraska called give to Lincoln day. I sat out at a booth all day long out there and, you know, and advertised our brand, you know, and we brought on some pretty good donations as far as that. So that's where that's we're great. at. And that's all the events we've done. So that's, that's where we're at right now. So that's amazing, so, man. I mean, uh, do you, what are your goals and, and what are your, you know, what are your ambitions for this and, and, you know, where do you see it going? Okay. So my number one thing, I, I want this to be one of the largest national brands there are as far as rock marching goes. I don't think we're ever going to catch your ever warriors and silky hikes as far as that goes, but you know, they're, their mission is kind of different than ours. Theirs is more towards just getting together in camaraderie, and they have a great thing they have going as far as that goes. And, you know, they try to keep theirs secluded to veterans only. Yeah. You know, um, my thing is what I realized when I first started this organization is one thing right off the bat is – during our first event, we brought in probably close to just a little over $2,000. And I realized from that event, after seeing the participation from the people that were there and the people who donated, that probably 90% of that, I'd say, honestly, came from veterans and veterans family members. So what's the old saying? Veterans help veterans, you know? And my whole thing is I want to change that. I I want veterans to help veterans, yes, because that's super important. But I want to get the community involved as much as possible, not only in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, but you know, so that's my main that's my main thing I want going in. How do I look to do that? Um I am 
What I want to do is find representatives that live in every single state in the United States who, when we do events like any of these memorial ruck marches or um, our Oktoberfest challenge and stuff like that, I want long-distance liaisons who are willing to advertise in their own in their own communities for Record Up for Warriors to be able to take pictures of their virtual events they're doing in their own cities and states, um, to be able to advertise, take pictures and videos and just give information, hey, I'm such and such and I like I help Record Up for Warriors as far as that goes. So that's my biggest thing I got going right now. I have one person in South Carolina and one person in Iowa right now who have came on board and volunteered to do that. So I am looking to fill the rest of the States. I love it. I love it, man. You're doing some great things and uh, you know, you're helping a lot of guys and girls out there that, uh, you know, need that help. I mean, and you know, talking, bringing each other together, that, that does a lot of things, you know, it brings mm-hmm. network, it brings camaraderie. There's just a lot of good things come when you can bring a good bunch of people together and uh, set out for things, you know, it, like I said, I, it, I love that you're trying to bring the community involved. Cause I mean, I, I have as, as recent too, um noticed, like, I was like, man, I, I need to start trying to get my, you know, community involved as well. So I reached out to like my local veterans and stuff like that to, to bring them onto the show and highlight their stories and trying to find out what's going on in the community around me so we can start bringing other things into this community that I'm seeing. Cause man, once I start talking to all you guys and stuff like that, you start to feel like, dang, maybe I ain't doing enough. You know what I mean? Cause all you oh, guys you out there are just doing some really great things. And I mean, uh, and it's very selfless of you guys in, you know, to keep on and, and, you know, keep doing the mission. A lot of us, you know, including myself, I disconnected for a while, you know, mm-hmm. from the community, from my family, from a lot of people. Um, but, you know, here I am trying to get myself back into it and, and reaching out and, and, and talking to great people like yourself and hearing great things. It just like, it starts to, you know, ring on you like, man, maybe I could do more. Maybe the, you know, there's more we can do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So right now we support two different organizations and we're just getting ready to start supporting a third um, right now. Um, So we support, we have made donations to Mission 22. Um, For the the people who don't know who Mission 22 is, they're basically, they're considered to be about the number one top rated uh, veteran, you know, suicide awareness program in the U.S., you know, they're pretty large. Um, I know Toval Hall, the project donates 20% of their stuff to Mission 22. Um, and I found that kind of interesting as well. But so we have also donated to, there's a place in Bellevue, Nebraska, which is like right outside of Omaha. The name of this organization is called JAVELAN, J-A-V-E-L-A-N. And what they do is they pair service dogs with veterans and first responders. They fall under the first responders foundation. And um, so basically after they pair the service dog with a veteran or first responder, then they put them through a certification, excuse me, a certification training program 
and get them all trained up to where they can successfully work with each other. And then, you know, they graduate them from there. And then that veteran or first responder goes home with that canine. I'm not sure where they get their canines from or anything like that. So we've made donations to them. And the brand new one we are just started to work work with. I'm super 100%, thousand percent excited about this opportunity. Um, first of all, have you ever heard of Vince Rocco Vargas? Yes, actually, I've. He just recently has been really coming up in my Facebook uh, feed, and I know he's gonna be. He, he's he's an actor. He's you know mm-hmm. he's he's just big time guy coming out, man. Okay, so for the people who don't know, here's here's Vince Rocco Vargas. He is a former Army Ranger. Um, he's in the 75th Ranger regiment i'm not sure what unity is actually assigned to there he did a couple tours i believe over in afghanistan um i'm not sure how many years he ended up serving but when he got out of service he then he went to work on the border as a u.s border patrol agent he yeah i saw work. a video of him yep. yeah he did some work down there to where his mission was he was on a medical like a uh, emergency type of response team down there to where they went and went after, you know, kind of, they did some medical stuff to where they were helping, you know, like for any significant incidents that happened down there as far as that went. Um, So after his time, he was done working for border patrol and stuff like that. He worked in the prison system for a while. And then after he did that, he then now he is a actor. So if any of you have watched Sons of Anarchy, the motorcycle uh, show that was on AMC, um, he was actually an actor on the spinoff, Mayans MC. And they just started, they just released their first episode or two of their, their final season last night. He's been on since season one. The reason I bring up Vince Rocco Vargas is he, because of his time in the military and what he has seen and what he is been through in his personal life he is starting this organization called veteran not veteran but veteran because his idea is to be a better veteran so he calls a veteran with a b you can look them up yeah you can look them up at veteran.com so a couple things that they are going to do is they have a weekend wellness retreat it's coming up in salt lake city on i believe it's september 8th 9th and 10th you know and there's a bunch of things they are going to go through with the people like the veterans who do pay to go for that go to that um do things such as cancer screenings they do trt testing for testosterone screenings and stuff like that they do uh different healing type activities, they do leadership challenges and whatnot to try to, you know, this idea is to not focus on the word suicide as much, but more just healing and make, you know, he has these different pillars of, you know, self-worth and stuff like that, which you need to focus on mentally as a uh, veteran to make your, to strengthen your mental health, you know, and, you know, so you don't have these signs. So they have these weekend retreats they also have this uh, online mentorship program. It's, I think it's 
strictly on Facebook. I believe it's a private group. It's called Light the Fuse Mentorship Program, and they actually have this to where you have one-on-one mentoring with people who have made it through the program. You get weekly calls with Vince Rocco Vargas himself, you know, talking about, you know, he'll communicate with you. You have different challenges on there as far as that goes, Um, guest speakers and such. Okay, so out of these two programs, I just explained the mentorship program is like a thousand bucks to send somebody through. And the monthly mentorship program is $100 per month. So what we want to do with that is with the donations we bring in, I'm gonna, I want to send veterans through consecutive months of the mentorship program or potentially send veterans to the actual weekend retreats and stuff like that with funds we're bringing in. Kind of like so, a scholarship. Huh? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, so actually I had the opportunity with myself and, Jesse Cunningham from Wheels for Warriors and Jason Steiner from Hero Stock. I lined up and we were actually on a Zoom call with Vince Rocco Vargas probably about three weeks ago. It was, he's a super cool dude. So that's outstanding, man. I, yeah. I I would love to see if I could ever get him on the show. Uh, yeah, man, he, he's um, uh, got some great stories and he's just I can a great. You, I know he's a great influence. Yeah, I can give you his uh, person who schedules all his stuff. I'll give you his point of contact information. This guy's name is Michael Mendez, and I will reach out to Michael and let him know that um, I'm sending you know, send you his direction and all that. So I'd appreciate that, man. That would be great for sure. I mean, again, you know, just anything like to get these programs out there. You know, I I mean, I I would love to put them out there as much as we can because these are great programs to get. You know, these veterans help man and we can mm-hmm. really start to chip away on the number i know it's higher than 22 a day I, I think we just kind of put a you know a little bit of a target out there you know or a number that you know people can kind of say wow there's that many but um mm-hmm. yep. i think you know the more that we start putting these programs out there and also not just putting them out there but making it where people can see and know that these are available and they're you know and not be afraid of the cost you know because there's you know, people like you out there that are making, you know, scholarships, so to speak, uh, for these people to go in and uh, do, you know, because I think a lot of times what probably does hinder a lot of people is cost, you know, especially nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in, it just, you know, it's hard that it prevents some, someone doesn't want to get help because of a cost, you know, so it's that's mm-hmm. hopefully we can kind of start bridging that with, you know, certain programs like yourself and others. Yeah. So, so one thing about this veteran program, it is focused on male veterans, not females. Um, and the reason Vince says for that is because statistics show that male veterans are the, by far the highest percentage of veterans to commit attempt suicide as far as that goes. So that being said, we are not trying to not think of the female veterans. So I am also looking for solid female veteran programs out there as well. I need one. I want a good one. So if anybody knows of any of those, you know, I think that would top off where we want to 
do to where we'd have a male program, a female program, then the Mission 22, and then the Javelon service dogs. As far as that goes, I think that would be a good solid structure for us to lean on going forward. So if anyone knows any good veteran PTSD programs for female veterans out there. I'm going to have to talk to uh, my last, one of my last guests, Chelsea. She was a Marine veteran. I know she's done a lot of stuff in retreats and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, so she actually might have a couple um, names of some uh, organizations. So mm-hmm. I'll, uh, Perfect. I'll uh, that's another thing we'll, uh, you know, kind of keep in to- uh, contact with. I'll uh, kind of pulse her. I got her number. I can uh, see what she's got. Perfect. Yeah, because so. I mean, the more things that we can get out there, the better. And and you know, I know um, it it's it's good if we can get it for both, but it's it's good that there's things out there, you know, to concentrate on a, a percentage of you know people that are really suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, Scott, man, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all this stuff. Is there anything else that you you want to say before we get off, or anything you forgot? Mm. If anybody wants to, uh, you know, if anybody wants to uh, volunteer to do anything, you know, within our organization or whatnot, you know, if ruck marching, uh, if you have ideas for events or anything like that, you know, or whatnot, how we can draw more if you run an organization and you want to, if you want to pair with us as far as that goes, you know, and work with us. I would be more than more than happy to uh, accommodate that because, you know, one thing, one thing I heard a while back ago is, you know, there's a lot of nonprofit organizations who try to shy away from other organizations because they see it as competition. Yeah. Not me. I, I see this as an opportunity to strengthen and branch out further because, you know, I support a couple other organizations outside of just what I do as far as that goes, you know, and it's like, why just hold it one when you can, you know, we're not going to make the entire veteran community as strong as it can be without helping others. So, yep. And I'm a firm believer in that too. Yeah. But closing, I just want to say that, Hey, if you know any veterans out there who, you know, seem like they're secluded and, you know, you know, they seem like they're secluded, reach out to them, you know, um, you never know who it is. It could be a close family member that could be having thoughts of suicide or whatnot. And you may not even know it, you know, you may see patterns and, you know, a lot of times people don't reach out to people because they don't know how this person is going to respond. But I think if you respond to them, it will, be less of like an embarrassment factor for that person. And they will see that as an opening their eyes type of thing. Um, you know, that's why I say is look after your brothers and sisters out there. Absolutely. Great message. Once again, Scott, I appreciate your time for coming on, talking about your stories, experiences, and what you got going on now. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, we got to stay in touch. Uh, this isn't just a podcast thing, but it's a friendship, man. So, um, you know, just hold tight. And uh, once again, thanks again, Scott. All right. Hey, I'll see you in September, man. Hell yeah, brother. That's
All right, friends and fam, I want to thank you guys so much. That was another great interview, uh, another great guest. Um, remember, if you know anybody out there struggling with any PTSD, mental health issues, there's a crisis lifeline out there to call. The number is 988, and all you got to do is press 1. Also, if you guys aren't a part of the Facebook group, go join it. Every day is a Saturday, USMC Veteran. There's a lot of great information in there. Uh, great events like Scott's, uh, great events like the Hero Stock, uh, all that stuff is a place to go and check it out there and also place to have funny memes and joke around. Also, if you're uh, watching this and you want to catch it on the road or something like that, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and also on the Gun Room Radio. And if you haven't checked out the Gun Room Radio, go check that out. There's a special app for it. And it uh, plays all the veteran musicians as well as veteran podcasters. But anyways, thank you guys once again for tuning into Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Until next time. Urgh.